0: My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel, I'm the Tolkien Geek, and I've mentioned before how Smith of Wooten Major has some autobiographical elements to it, and I was recently reading the story to my kids, and some things caught my attention that had not caught my attention before, and it made me realize that in some ways, Smith of Wooten Major is not just kind of a self-reflection on Tolkien's own thoughts about fairy and some of this other stuff. Smith of Wooten Major is the last story, the last story that he ever wrote that got published anyway. And he wrote it very late in life. And reading through it again, it struck me that in some ways Smith of Wooten Major is actually kind of a summary of his whole life and career. And so I wanted to explore some of that in this video, talk about, you know, the kinds of things in the story that represent different aspects of his life, his work, all that stuff. So let's take a look at some of the very interesting parallels between Smith of Wooten Major and Tolkien's life. Before we get to the video, I'd like to talk to you about something new that I've discovered that may help you. One of the things that I'm interested in besides Tolkien is staying healthy and fit and One of the areas that I've discovered that I've been lacking is my feet. And one thing that I've done recently to start helping my feet is wear barefoot shoes. What's a barefoot shoe, you may ask? Seems like a contradiction in terms. It's a shoe with many different qualities, but some of them include a wider toe box so that your toes can actually spread apart and do their natural thing. A very flexible sole so that your feet can use their natural range of motion. A very thin sole so you can actually feel the ground beneath you and your feet can adapt to what's going on and no drop between the heel and the toe so that you're not constantly at an elevated heel position which has effects on your posture. I've started wearing these recently and I really love them. These are from Zero Shoes. The name Zero is spelled with an X as you can see and they have an affiliate program so i have a link in the description if you want to try barefoot shoes for the many benefits that they may have you can buy a pair and it'll actually help out my channel these that i have are the prio they also have a prio new version a neo prio neo which is a slightly updated version but these work just fine for me i love them and ever since i started wearing them i can't stand wearing normal shoes anymore because I can feel the <laughs> regular shoes crushing my toes together and these don't. So I really like these if you feel like you are interested in wearing barefoot shoes and you can find lots of videos on YouTube explaining the benefits and all that. One of the other cool things that Zero does as a company is when you buy their shoes they will actually give you a bunch of videos and articles that uh, send you links to those that you can used to learn how to get into wearing barefoot shoes and how to transition from a normal shoe to a barefoot shoe. If you already walk around barefoot a lot at home and, you know, don't wear shoes that often, it may not be that much of a transition, but it might otherwise, so that can be really helpful. So, if you're interested in this, you know, take a visit to their website, check them out. See if you're interested in, you know, buying their products and like I said if you do, it does help my channel. If you use the affiliate link in the description. Thanks a bunch, now back to the video. First let's take a look at the idea of the lit-lang divide or controversy in Tolkien's academic career and lit and lang is literature and language. This is the thing that Tom Shippey talks about a lot in his works where Tolkien was constantly trying to make language the focus of the English department at whatever university he happened to be at at the time and he was constantly on the losing side of that battle. Literature eventually won out pretty much everywhere. And Shippy thinks that Smith of Wooten Major is a fairly deep allegory of this struggle. And there are certainly elements of the story that I think back that up. Shippy points to a number of different things. I think he makes his strongest case for this in the um, Author of the Century book that he wrote. I, it might have been in his his other major one, the uh, road not road to fairy, um, road to Middle Earth rather. I can't remember for sure which book it was because it's been a while since I read the two of them. But the main point is, he points to several aspects of these the story that seem to be a representation of different things about the literature versus language issue that Tolkien was dealing with in, in his academic career. He points, just to name a few, to the birch tree that Smith of Wooten Major hangs onto when the wind blows, and he says that for Tolkien, the birch tree was kind of this, it was B for birch is also the B side, which was language versus A for, you know, the literature side of the program. It was you know, the birch tree was kind of this representation of the language side, and so there's that element, there's also the cook himself as uh, the master cook, Noakes, who is kind of just a, not particularly intelligent or whatever, he's competent enough, but not very... uh, insightful let's say uh and he kind of represents the language side and just doing things not the language side the literature side and just doing things you know this this same old way without really trying anything new or and then there's the hall for the cook which gets repainted when alf who is i won't spoil the story if you haven't read it but he's a major character when he becomes Master Cook, the thing gets repainted and a lot of people say it looks ooh, it's newfangled, it's ugly, it's but some people recognize that it's actually a return to tradition, you know, and this is kinda like the idea that originally all these departments were very language focused, going back to whichever Grim brother was really into the the idea of language. The one of the things that Shippy will point out in one of these books, or maybe both of them even is that the Grimm brothers, and particularly one of them, I forget which one, they're not only interested in fairy tales, they are interested in the same thing that Tolkien is interested in. They actually kind of kick-start the whole idea of philology, because they're doing the same kind of study in both the language aspect and the story aspect, and they're very connected, because stories and language are very connected. Now, there, of course, Tolkien has his own theories about language and how that's connected to stories which may or may not be a little overwrought, but that's a side point for you know, for our purposes. So there's all these different aspects of the story that seem to point to Tolkien's academic career and how he was constantly in this battle trying to make language the primary thing because that's what the original point was, rather than just studying the literature as if you could study them separately and the literature You know could be a thing unto itself tolkien wanted to go back to this idea of no we study the language and the stories or you know the literature that comes out of the language is a part of that not the other way around he lost that battle in the end of course Uh, the literature department basically ended the language aspect of most of in most of these different universities so that's one aspect of the story, but I was always kind of unsatisfied with Shippey's idea that the whole story is an allegory for just this one thing. And he does make a compelling case, in some ways, that it, it is a part of the story. I think if you look at it, it's hard not to see that, but I always got the sense in my mind, like, there's more to this story than just that. And on this latest read, when I was reading to my kids, I noticed why. There's a number of things in the story that point to other aspects of Tolkien's career, which you might find a way to kind of fit into Shippey's allegory theory, but I, you know, it just seems to me like Tolkien is almost writing a miniature autobiography here. One aspect of that is near the end of the story when Smith is returning from Ferry for the last time, and he meets Alf... Alf starts talking to him about his grandfather, who put the star in the box that Noakes found, which, of course, Smith, Smith ended up getting in the cake and ends up on his forehead, which allows him to go into Ferry. And he said that he was a great traveler, and he did a lot of things before he, you know, became Master Cook, and then eventually he just left. And his name is Ryder. And I don't know if this ever occurred to me before, but if it didn't, I don't know how I could have possibly missed it. But it certainly seems like Ryder is a very, very close analogy to Strider, who is also a very great traveler and did a lot of things before he became a king, uh, which is kind of analogous to a master cook in this in this story. So there's there's this whole aspect of the. Just a little tiny part of the story, but it points to, you know, a a totally huge part of Tolkien's life, the publication of The Lord of the Rings. You know, writing The Lord of the Rings and getting it finalized and published took up over a decade of the man's life. I mean, it (laughs) it was a long time coming, and it was a lot of work, and he put so many different aspects of the things that he was working on into it. You know, it was... Started out as a sequel of The Hobbit, which was just kind of a fun side project that he did that was kind of, in a funny way, sort of referred back to his own mythology. And then he like decided, okay, well, it's just going to become a sequel to my mythology and all this stuff. And out of all this comes this one little reference in The Smith of Wooten Major about his maternal grandma, grandfather being the master cook who brought the star from Ferry and who was a great traveler. It's also interesting, by the way, that it's his maternal grandfather, and it's also interesting that the child that Smith chooses the star to go to next is Noakes' grandson, but he mentions the fact that he had, uh, Alf mentions the fact that He has a wise mother, who happens to be the sister of Smith's wife, Nell. Now, why is this important? Well, Tolkien placed a lot of emphasis and and credit for the way he grew up and the things that he was interested in, in his mother. His mother was the reason he became Catholic. She was the reason that he got introduced to languages really early. A huge amount of Tolkien's life can be traced back to his mother, So the fact that there's an emphasis here on mothers, namely the mother of Noakes' grandson, and also Smith's mother being the link to this grandfather figure, seems to me to be a connection to Tolkien's own life, and how mothers impact their children to such a great degree. Now another thing that, this is kind of a side uh, (laughs) thing, at least for me, but I... I put out a video a long time ago about at my theory that Telcontar is actually kind of a weird little hint that Tolkien is kind of putting himself in his own story. Because Telcontar is the name of the Strider household. You know, he, he tells a few characters at one point that Strider, or at least the elvish form of it, Telkontar, will be the name of my house. And one of my theories was telcontar is close enough in form to tolkien you got the t and then the lk sound and then the n you know and then the tar at the end you can kind of you know that just drops off if you put all that together it looks like it could have devolved into tolkien over time and so my theory was tolkien was kind of putting himself into his own story now like so many things about Tolkien's elvish languages, this is really probably just a coincidence because the telco root was already a thing in his languages before he wrote The Lord of the Rings, if I'm not mistaken. So it's highly unlikely, of course, that this is actually an intentional self-insertion on Tolkien's part. Nevertheless, the theory always kind of intrigued me. And weirdly enough... Fits here too, because if Ryder, who is kind of like Strider, is the grandfather of Smith, who is kind of an autobiographical representation of tolkien he 's kind of saying I am Strider's descendant, <laughs> so i 'm counting my theory as confirmed, whether anybody likes it or not, so that 's you know just another little fun piece there that i I you know really enjoyed for my own personal purposes. <laughs> But there's other parts of the story that represent still other parts of Tolkien's life. Another connection to the Lord of the Rings, for instance, but which has broader implications, is Smith's reluctance to give up the star. When he's talking to Alf on this trip out of Ferry for the last time, Alf at one point touches the star and it goes dim, and Smith reacts like, what are you doing to my thing? Uh, And Alf tells him, don't you think, Smith, that it's time for you to give this thing up? And Smith's reaction should remind you of something. What is that to you, Master Cook? He answered. And why should I do so? Isn't it mine? It came to me, and may a man not keep things that come to him so, at least, at, at the least as a remembrance? Tell me that doesn't sound like Bilbo Baggins with the ring. I don't know how I'd ever missed this before either, but I only really noticed it this time reading it. And when I read it, it almost shocked me, it was so obvious. And it occurred to me, of course, that this is not only a connection to The Lord of the Rings and Bilbo's reaction to giving up the ring, but it also reflects an element of Tolkien's thought, which seems to have cropped up especially later in his life, where he had this kind of reluctance about his own creative gift. There seems to have been and I think I have talked about this on this channel before a long time ago and I can't remember in what connection I did it. But Tolkien seems to have kind of gotten this idea that maybe he was being a little presumptuous or even hubristic in you know putting all this energy into this creative endeavor that he had. Like maybe it wasn't such a great thing for him to do after all there, there's kind of a tension in Tolkien's life about you know God makes man in his own image and therefore man is also a creator but he also had this side of him that was like am I taking this too far um, and I, I don't remember if I talked about it in connection with the the fact that in Tolkien's story so often the, cre- the great creative characters are the ones who have the greatest falls Melkor, Feanor, Even Aule comes close to this. Saruman is, you know, of all the wizards, the the biggest in terms of, like, crafting things, and he also falls. It's a recurring theme in Tolkien's stories, and you almost get the sense sometimes that Tolkien has some self-doubt as to, you know, is this a thing that is actually a legitimate enterprise on my part? All this creative stuff that I'm doing, should I be focusing on something else? This also connects in with another element right at the end of the story where he comes home and he tells his son who happens to be working at the smithy and that you know basically he's not going to be making any more journeys to ferry and his son is you know kind of sad for him because he recognizes what he's gotten out of that but says but this will also be good too it'll be good for this household you know it'll be a positive thing that he's now home all the time with his family, and that's not to say that Smith was never a good family man, because he was, but being gone all the time, and being gone for long stretches, you know, it's not necessarily the most... It's not necessarily the most conducive to a family life, either. And you kind of wonder if Tolkien had some of his own thoughts on this about his own life, because he spent so much time in his own world, literally, (laughs) literally, you know, writing about Middle-earth and all this other stuff, you know, that did he also think, you know, maybe I, I have squandered some of the time that I should have spent with family and done other things rather than constantly working on this story. Now, of course, for some, you know, at least for Christopher, you know, working on that story brought Christopher a lot of time with his dad too. So, you know, in some ways that worked out, in some ways it maybe not, with his other kids or even his wife, and I'm not trying to criticize Tolkien's family life or anything, I'm just... these are the kinds of things that seem to kind of pop up as potential self-criticisms that Tolkien could be making, which fit really neatly with this particular part of the story in Smith. But the other half of this, of course, is that, unlike The Ring which is a decidedly evil thing which should not be possessed by anyone and ought to be destroyed, the star is seen as a very good thing. So in the end, Tolkien seems to be reconciling himself with the idea that, yes, this is fine within its limits. Alf tells Smith that the star is only lent, it is not meant to be kept forever, and it needs to be passed on. And it is interesting, of course, that Smith, when he does choose to pass it on, passes it on to somebody outside his own family. He does not pass it on to his own son, which seems weird because you would think he would do that. And in Tolkien's life, he kind of bequeaths his own legacy to Christopher. But he doesn't really leave Christopher his own actual talents in in some ways. Christopher was a custodian. He never did his own thing in the same way that Tolkien did. And so there is a sense in which this is very parallel to the story. Christopher did not do the kinds of things that Tolkien did. He received the stories from Tolkien in the same way that Smith's son received his stories of his own travels about into Ferry from Smith. But he didn't go to Ferry himself. And neither did Christopher. He just got the stories. So, this also seems to tie in a little bit to Tolkien's own life. Then, of course, there is one other element which I've kind of skipped over for, in terms of chronology of the story, but which also has a huge impact in terms of Tolkien's overall life. Tolkien, of course, wrote a, an essay on fairy stories, which I can link to in the description. I've done a couple of videos on that. And he explores his own thoughts on the idea of the fairy story and what they are, what they're good for, and all that sort of thing. And in the Smith of Wooten Major story, he gives us a pretty clear idea of, you know, I am still very much in the vein of thinking like this. Because at the very beginning of the story, when Noakes, as Master Cook, makes his great cake, he makes it with a little fairy queen doll as a decoration on the top, And it's, you know, kind of what we would think of as fairies today for the most part. You know, it's just a little diminutive female with a wand and all this other stuff. Smith ends up meeting the actual queen of fairy in the story and recognizes her for who she is only on his second meeting with her. And the description is very brief and impressionistic but it's hard not to draw some comparison to the descriptions that we get of galadriel in the lord of the rings like sam's description where he's talking about her to faramir and saying that you know she's this but that all these contrasts and you know you could just break yourself into pieces on her and all this stuff it's like the queen of fairy is much 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 more significant than the little diminutive doll that was put on that cake and Smith, when he sees her and recognizes that she is the Queen of Fairy, he's, like, ashamed of the fact that the people in his own town represented her in this little, crazy, tiny, you know, fashion. And the Queen says, you know, don't be overly grieved about it. You know, it's it's probably better that they have at least some idea of Fairy than none at all. But what we can hear in this passage is Tolkien's criticism of the modern conception of fairy because Tolkien's whole idea in on fairy stories is that they are not just tales for children that you know you grow out of when you're a grown-up and suddenly they're no longer important on the contrary Tolkien thinks of fairy stories as in some ways the most important stories and even maybe more important for adults because adults need to kind of be recalled to the ideas that fairy stories convey. So there's this tension between the way that people tend to think of fairies versus what he thinks of fairy stories is represented in this little small part of the story where we get the contrast of the little bitty tinsel doll versus the great and majestic fairy queen and this was another one of those things where you know it just again reading it it's like how can you miss this if you know anything about tolkien now there's probably still other elements to this myth of wooten major story that may have parallels to tolkien's life in other ways there are still parts of the story that i cannot for the life of me come up with a i hate the word in this context but an explanation for as if the story needs to be explained, right? There's a sense in which you just want to let the story be what it is because not understanding it in that way makes it all the more moving and powerful in a lot of ways. But just as an example, there's the, uh, the, the adventures that he has in Ferry, like one where he goes to the shore and there's a ship coming back from some battle across the sea, And the the elven mariners just kind of march over him and he just falls to his, you know, to the ground and just, you know, lies in a fetal position, basically, if you look at Pauline Baines's uh, illustration, because they're just so terrible in in the old sense of that word, meaning like awe-inspiring and just, you know, they're just way more than he can handle. Uh, there, of course, is the story where he finds the lake and awakens the wind, and then there's the birch tree, which Shippe thinks is part of that, you know, the, the whole Lit Lang thing. But there's, you know, other adventures into fairy, and these get described very briefly, and it doesn't seem to me that they all have neat um, parallels or analogies to anything in Tolkien's life, but they might. I don't know. But there are definitely elements of the story which I think are still unexplained. And I think that's perfectly fine. Like, I don't necessarily think every ounce of this story ought to be, you know, put into a box and say this is what this represents. Because I don't think he was trying to write an allegory. Even though so much of the story does seem to fit rather neatly into something like an allegorical or autobiographical box, I think it means far more than an allegory, precisely because there are elements of it that are not obviously one-to-one connections. Nevertheless, it is interesting to read the story and come to it with kind of fresh eyes again and realize how much of the story is really connected to Tolkien's life. And it reinforces my conviction that, in a lot of ways, Smith of Wooten Major really is kind of his his own autobiography. It's like he's taking so many elements of his life, the writing of the Lord of the Rings, the idea of, you know, his own gift being something that, you know, may have its negative sides, and is it really something I should be spending so much time on? You know, the whole Strider-Rider connection, the you know, just everything about this story. It's so interesting to look at it and see how he could, as he always does take various elements from things in the past and usually it's past stories but in this case it's the past story of his own life and build them into something new and yet familiar in a way that just you know we all just read it and you can recognize the magic in it even if you don't understand any of the connections and even if the connections aren't even real it's still mind-blowing. So, this is just a really good example of how Tolkien does his work as well, and in that sense, it's, again, another connection to the rest of his life, because this is what he did with almost all of his stories. His Lord of the Rings, his Hobbit, his Silmarillion mythology, all of it was built on taking these many different pieces from here, there, and everywhere in other stories that were you know, old and, you know, needed an update in some ways, and he updated them, but not just in a way of, you know, improving on those stories. He took those elements and made a completely different soup out of it. The soup of story was already there, and he just took some of the ingredients and made a different soup out of it. And, you know, it's just really interesting to see how that works. So, Smith of Wooten Major, the culmination of a career. That's, Now how I'm looking at this story, and goodness gracious, if you can come up with a better way of looking at it, that'll be really interesting, because this is, to me, just like one of the most powerful realizations that I've had about any of his stories, because it really is, this Smith of Wooten Major itself is, in some ways, one of my favorites of his stories, precisely because it is so impressionistic in that it doesn't seem to have like a particular point or anything else and yet it tells you so much without telling you directly every time i read it i feel like there is something deeper and more that can be gotten from the story than i can articulate and yet i can never plumb those depths like it's such a fascinating story in that regard but those are my thoughts on the smith of wooten major as not only autobiography, but like I said, a culmination of Tolkien's career. If you have not read this story, and lately I did a trivia question on Twitter, or X, whatever, <laughs> uh, where I asked a question about Smith of Wooten Major, and several people said that they had not read the story. Read this story, seriously. It's really good. It's also really short. You can get it in... You know, you can get it in just one that has just Smith of Wooten Major and Farmer Giles of Ham. I think it is also in the uh, Tales from the Perilous Realm Connect collection. So there's at least two different ways you should be able to get this story, and neither of them are terribly expensive. Read this story, please. It is so good. With that, I will, you know, leave things here. Don't forget, of course, you know, subscribe, like, comment, whatever. Speaking of commenting, uh, since I've gotten back into this video making thing for, hopefully for good, uh, getting back into the groove is a little bit difficult, so do leave any video suggestions that you have at the moment. I'm, you know, I've got my Patreon and all that open again, but I don't think anybody's actually jumped on and started supporting yet, so I don't have anybody that, by virtue of that, has the right to, you know, demand a video topic, Uh, so if you have any ideas, drop them in the comments because trying to get back in the groove of this is actually kind of difficult after being away from it for a while. Uh, so yeah, please do leave those kind of comments as well as any other comments you have. Follow me on Twitter or X or I'm just going to call it Twitter, (laughs) uh, and where I drop Tolkien related trivia questions. Then of course, check out my other video and podcast platforms as well. And until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. No